Good morning. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and to turn or maybe to scroll to Acts chapter 18. Good for you being here right after Thanksgiving when it's cold outside. I hope you enjoyed Thanksgiving as much as I did. I do have to say, though, I was a little bit offended by Friday morning, all of the commercials were for gym memberships and Peloton machines, and I felt judged. Maybe you didn't feel judged, but I felt judged. As you're turning to chapter 18, we are this morning wrapping up our fall series on the book of Acts. We'll hit pause for a few weeks and focus on the holiday season, and then we will come back in January and we'll pick it up again. But if you've turned to Acts chapter 18, we are going to read all of it this morning. Don't get nervous. It's God's word. But we are going to read it all this morning. So let me invite you to read along quietly while I read out loud. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Tatius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia... The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, 
I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him, and he wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that in these next few moments, the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words would help us to rightly apply them to our lives for your glory. And as the preacher this morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 28 verses, but don't get nervous. There's no way that we're going to talk about everything that's here. Uh, I'll get to that in just a minute. But let's take a step back for a minute and look down on the chapter. Acts chapter 18 covers probably a three-year period of the ministry of Paul and his companions. Uh, It's a long period of time. Uh, This is the concluding years of Paul's second missionary journey. Then he's going to go back to... Uh, Israel for a little while. He's going to visit Antioch and Jerusalem and other places. And then he's going to begin his third missionary journey in Ephesus. So it's a lot of time that's here in chapter 18. But because there's a lot of time and because he's in a lot of places, it's a wonderful chapter for us to hit pause, step back, and think a little bit about Paul's missionary strategy something that we've seen off and on for several chapters in Acts, but much of which is on display for us here in this chapter. We see a number of things. His practice of preaching to the Jews before he begins his work among the Gentiles. His willingness, at least in some places, to serve as a tent maker so that he can provide for himself rather than relying on financial support from the church. His flexibility whenever it came to observing the uh, ceremonial aspects of the Jewish law. Those are all key themes that we've seen throughout Acts, but none of those are what we're going to focus on this morning. This morning, we're going to focus on three enduring principles about kingdom advance that we see here in Acts chapter 18. Because we don't have time to go through the entire chapter verse by verse, I don't want you to think that we're going to be exhaustive. Instead, imagine that Acts chapter 18 is the ocean. And in the ocean, you have various buoys that are floating. And each of those buoys are there to signal the depth of the ocean. 
These three enduring principles are like three spiritual buoys. Three different areas where we're going to dig into the depths of this particular ocean of Acts 18. Not speaking to everything we could, but to everything that maybe we ought to today. To just remind ourselves of Paul's strategy and ways that we can apply it to our own lives and to our own church. So the first principle that we see in Acts 18 is that God guarantees the success of kingdom advance, but we must be faithful in spreading the gospel. God guarantees the success of kingdom advance, but we must be faithful in spreading the gospel. Up to this point, Paul's normal pattern had been to spend a short time in each city, probably just a few weeks or a few months, get things started, and then he would move on to the next place and trusting uh, pastors to lead those young churches. And that's probably the same thing that he intended whenever he came to Corinth. But then God appeared to him in a vision one night. If you look again at verses 9 and 10, God says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. We know that Paul had faced opposition in the city of Corinth. Verse 6 tells us that he was opposed and even reviled by the Jews who were in the synagogue. God encourages Paul to not be afraid, but to keep at the work longer, to put down some roots in Corinth, and to trust that he's not going to be harmed even though there's opposition. And this promise was no doubt a great comfort to Paul when sometime later, we don't know how long it was, he's there for at least 18 months, but sometimes later, uh, sometime later, he's brought before Governor Gallio by the unbelieving Jews. We see that in verses 12 through 17. And instead of doing what might be expected, instead of throwing Paul in prison or beating him or booting him out of the city, Instead, Gallio refuses to even get involved in the dispute. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with this. He let Paul go. And then he allowed the Jewish mob to beat one of their own leaders in frustration. He just washes his hands of the whole thing. Paul escapes persecution in Corinth, just like God promised. Though Paul escaped this persecution, we need to remember that up to this point, his story has been filled with persecution, beatings, sometimes near to death, imprisonments, being thrown out of cities. And there's more of that in Paul's future. There's more to come that we've not read about yet. And this just reminds us that there's always going to be opposition. There's never going to be a time when it comes to kingdom advance that there won't be some sort of roadblocks or hurdles or outright opposition. Sometimes it might just be the everyday pressures of relational tensions. Some of you may have faced some of that over the Thanksgiving holiday with extended family. Other times, especially in other places, there's open persecution of believers. Because this sort of opposition is inevitable, we need to not miss the last part of God's promise to Paul in that vision. 
he assured Paul, I have many people in Corinth. I have many people in Corinth. We know there were already some believers by that time. Luke mentions some. He mentions a Gentile named Tatius Justus in verse 7. He mentions Crispus and his household in verse 8. So there were some believers who were there, but that's not what the vision is talking about. In the vision, God was speaking of people who weren't yet believers. And God was so certain of who would be saved that he was already speaking of them as if they were his people. Now, Christians have been debating what this verse and similar verses in the Bible mean for 1,800 years. And for that matter, on social media the day before yesterday. But I don't want us to get distracted this morning by a family theological debate. That's not the best use of our time. Instead, let's focus on Paul's response to God's promise in verse 11. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul extended his time in Corinth because God assured him more people would come to faith in Christ. Now, God has probably not appeared to any of us in a vision like he did to Paul. But we have assurances throughout Scripture that God guarantees the success of our evangelistic efforts, that he will advance his kingdom despite whatever obstacles may come our way at any given point, in any given circumstance, in any given place. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 ends with a vision of people from every tribe and tongue and nation who are gathered around the throne worshiping the land, a great multitude. Brothers and sisters, we can know on the authority of God's word that we don't share the gospel hoping that a few people might be saved, but we share with the promise that a multitude will be saved. That's God's great commission vision. And we have no reason to doubt that a multitude within that multitude is right here in the upstate all around us right now. They're God's people from the mysterious, infinite perspective of eternity. But from our finite perspective, they're still unbelievers who've not yet responded to the gospel. And we have the responsibility, the obligation, and the joy to be the means that God is using to go and find them and to bring them to faith in Christ. Our disposition toward kingdom advance should be exactly the same as Paul's. Share regularly. Share widely. Even when it's difficult. And trust that God will save a multitude. Because God guarantees the success of kingdom advance. But we must be faithful in spreading the gospel. But there's a second principle that we see. Another that we find throughout Paul's ministry, but see especially here in chapter 18. And that is cities provide a strategic opportunity for kingdom advance. 
cities provide an especially strategic opportunity for kingdom advance. As Paul traveled across the Mediterranean world, he focused his mission efforts on cities. In Acts 17, we talked about that over the last couple of weeks, Paul was in Athens, and Athens was the intellectual hub of the Roman Empire. And now in Acts 18, Paul begins in Corinth, which was the commercial hub of the province of Achaia. And then at the end of verse 18, or chapter 18, and into chapter 19, Paul's going to be in Ephesus, which was the religious hub of the province of Asia. These three cities were population centers in their respective regions, and they were among the half-dozen most influential cities in the entire Roman Empire in the first century during Paul's lifetime. And this becomes a pattern in church history. For the first 300 years or so of church history, most Christians were located in cities. And the gospel spread primarily from city to city. In fact, the Greek word paganos, from which we get the word pagan, originally meant farmer. Not unbeliever, but farmer. And the reason is because the last place the gospel reached were the rural areas because they were more isolated and less populated than the cities. Like the Roman Empire, our world today is increasingly dominated by cities. And when it comes to culture and commerce, no matter where you live, even if you're on the family homestead out in the sticks, guys, I live in Tigerville, but no matter where you live, we all live downstream culturally and commercially from the city. It's estimated that in our world today, 56% of the world's population lives in metropolitan areas. And by 2050, that percentage may be as high as 70%. Our North American Mission Board has identified almost 30 strategic metro areas in the United States and Canada that, like Athens and Corinth and Ephesus, are significant population centers and have disproportionate influence in their entire regions. Through the SIN network, Taylor's partners with one of those cities, Los Angeles. And next year, we're going to have four different trips to Los Angeles, each of which has a different influence, if you, a different focus. Uh, I talked to Pastor Stephen this morning, and if you are interested in being a part of what our church is doing with other churches to reach the metro Los Angeles area, uh, there's still time before the end of this month to connect with him and to find out whether there might be an opportunity for you to be a part of one of those trips. But when you hear metro areas, don't just think the biggest cities like the Los Angeleses and the New Yorks and the Chicagos and places like that. This same principle we're discussing this morning applies to the upstate as well, even if it applies on a smaller scale than it does in the largest cities. On paper, if you look at Taylor's, not the church, but Taylor's, we gather in the center 
of a census-designated area of about 25,000 people. Folks, we're not even a city in Taylor's. We're a census-designated area. But if you zoom out just a little bit, and if you look at a map of Greenville-Spartanburg, our metro area of Greenville-Spartanburg County, uh, we are almost at the dead center of that metro area. We're right adjacent to Greer, and Greer is the dead center of our metro area. And the population of Greenville-Spartanburg has grown 16% since 1990 to over 900,000 people. And we're projected to hit 1 million sometime in 2027. Greenville and Spartanburg are both among the top 25 fastest-growing cities in the USA. And even Greer has more than doubled its population just in the 21st century. We are, almost every day, becoming more ethnically diverse in Greenville-Spartanburg. And the nations are coming to us because we're such an attractive home for so many different types of industry, industries. We're a regional hub for healthcare, for higher education, for the arts, for food, and for athletics. All of it. All of our region looking to Greenville-Spartanburg for cultural leadership in these areas. God is using our church to impact our local community in many ways. Check out the Love Tailors section of our website and you can see some of the ways that you can be involved in reaching and serving others who are right here in the neighborhood. There's even an opportunity this afternoon at 3 o'clock to go out and to share the gospel right here in our neighborhood. We love the community of Taylors. But we need to also realize that as we sit here this morning, providentially, we are practically in the dead center of our metro area's population growth, economic expansion, and cultural influence. And so prayerfully and intentionally, just like they did in the early church, we need to leverage our location and steward our resources for kingdom advance that radiates out from Taylor's towards all of the small cities and little towns and sprawling suburbs and never-ending neighborhoods and huge apartment complexes and rural crossroads and everything in between that comprises our unique metro area. We're not just a local church. We are a missional hub. And we're a missional hub, not just for our neighborhood, but by God's grace, increasingly for the wider region. And when we leave this place later on this morning, and every time we leave this place, and we go home, or we go to school, or we go to our places of employment, we are being sent out as missionaries to our growing ever-changing local mission field. For such a time as this, this is what God is doing in this area. And we're here. And we need to be strategic.
about what that means. Because in Paul's world and in our world, cities provide a strategic opportunity for kingdom advance. And we're not just Taylor's First Baptist. We're that church in the center of that metro area. But there's a third principle that we see. And it's this. Kingdom advance is a community project and each of us has a part. Community, kingdom advance is a community project and each of us has a part. We focused on Paul, but he wasn't the only believer that we see in chapter 18 who's ministering in Corinth and Ephesus. If you look back at verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Silas was introduced back in Acts chapter 15, and he was Paul's primary missionary partner on his second journey. He's with Paul almost the entire time. And then a chapter later, in Acts 16, Timothy joined the team. Timothy was a younger man, and he's the one to whom Paul writes First and Second Timothy several years later. In Acts 16 and 17, Paul went to Athens. Again, we talked about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. While Silas and Timothy left, and they went and they visited all the churches in Macedonia that had been planted on Paul's first missionary journey. So they're working together and they're working complementary to advance the kingdom there in that region. When I think about our church, our church is filled with Silas's and Timothy's. Individuals who want to be a part of what God is doing in advancing his kingdom. And like Timothy in particular, many of our folks are young folks. Our family's been here almost a year now, and during that time, I've been so encouraged by how many teenagers and college students and young professionals in this church are fired up about the Great Commission and want to reach other people here, there, and everywhere. Perhaps God is calling some of you this morning off the bench. Maybe he's calling you off the bench to get a little bit more involved directly, to be intentional about sharing the gospel in our community and in our metro area and wherever else the Lord would have you to do so. I don't know what that looks like for each of us as individuals, but it's worth praying about this morning whether God is calling you to take ownership of a Silas or Timothy type posture. But we look and we also see Priscilla and Aquila in chapter 18. Verses 2 and 3 tell us that they came to Corinth because the emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. Now we know from history that this happened in AD 49. And this is very interesting. The reason it happened is because there was a dispute in the synagogue. They had a church split. And they split between those who worshipped Jesus as Messiah and those who rejected Jesus as Messiah. And that church split was ugly enough, if you will, that Claudius said, y'all get out of here. So they did. He booted them all out. 
for several years. Aquila and Priscilla later are going to go back to Rome. We know that because Paul sends them greetings at the end of the book of Romans. But for now, they've been booted out with everybody else and they've gone to Corinth. And like Paul, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. So the three of them went into business together in Corinth so that they could support each other and share the gospel together in that city. In verses 24 through 28, down at the end of the chapter, we see that they've not only been in Corinth, but now they're in Ephesus, where Paul's going to join them later in Acts 19. More on that on the other side of the holidays. But I want you to notice in particular verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. The he in this verse is Apollos. And we'll get to him in a minute. But what I want you to see here is that Aquila and Priscilla were committed to helping those around them to understand the scriptures. Our church is filled with many individuals who are gifted teachers, who are committed to discipling others. And praise God for that. But in the scriptures, Priscilla and Aquila are always mentioned together. As a married couple, they were a disciple-making team. We have married couple at Taylor's. I can think of some now. Maybe you can as well. Who have a Priscilla and Aquila sort of ministry working together to invest in others around them and to help them to understand the scriptures. Maybe this morning, God is calling you and your spouse to have a disciple-making marriage, not just in your home, but in the lives of others as you invest in them, helping them to understand the Bible, helping them to grow in their faith. We have so many godly Priscilla's and Aquila's in this church. And by God's providence, some of you are married to each other. Leverage that opportunity for the sake of the kingdom in this church and wherever else the Lord gives you the opportunity to invest in others and teach them the scriptures as a couple. Finally, there's old Apollos. More about him when we come back after Christmas. But right now, what we see is that he's a gifted speaker. He knows the Bible, and he's bold in sharing the gospel. We learn in Acts 19 that Apollos is going to go to Corinth before Paul arrives in Ephesus, so they don't connect there. And we know from numerous references in 1 Corinthians that Apollos stayed in Corinth, Corinth long enough to become a key leader in that church, maybe a pastor, but at least some sort of key leader, teacher in the church. He was a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, an apologist. The sort of person with obvious ministry gifts and a desire to share the gospel with others. God has blessed tailors with many apollicises. It's probably not a word, but I'm going to claim it anyway. Apollai, 
He's blessed our church with many apollai, gifted preachers and teachers and evangelists. And of course, we have a church staff. And praise God for our church staff. But I don't just mean the paid staff. Our church has many members who use their gifts to advance the kingdom. And they don't have titles like pastor or minister or director or something like that. We have many people who are gifted for the work of the ministry and are using those gifts to advance the kingdom within their sphere of influence. And I don't know your situation in particular, but maybe this morning God is calling you to take the next step in this direction. Whatever that looks like. Maybe the next step for you is just simply digging deeper than you do on Sundays in life group. And if you're interested in taking that step, I would invite you to join us on Wednesday nights in the Equip Institute, where that's exactly what we're doing. We meet up in the loft after dinner. Or maybe you're interested in seminary courses. If you're interested in that step, Pastor Jeremy would love to talk to you about our partnership with Southeastern Seminary. Or maybe you know the scriptures well. Maybe you were even a teacher at some time. But you need to step up or step out or step back into the game and be more intentional. If that's you, I would encourage you to talk to Jeremy about opportunities to learn how to grow as a teacher or places where there's a need for those who are already experienced teachers. Or maybe you're here and you're a lot like Apollos. And you think God might be calling you to some sort of ministry leadership. Anyone on our staff would love to talk to you about what God's doing in your lives. And to walk with you as you think through what that might look like. And what next steps might be. And of course, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, listen, I appreciate all of this, Nathan. But the bottom line is... I'm not much like Silas or Timothy or Priscilla or Aquila, and I'm definitely not one of the Apollai. Well, that's okay too, because here's the good news. There are as many ways to be involved as advancing the kingdom as there are individual followers of King Jesus. So whatever that looks like for you, even if it doesn't look like any of these folks, just put your yes on the table. Just take the next step. Just be willing to be faithful. And trust that God is going to open your eyes and open doors and put encouragers in your life to figure out what that looks like. Here's the important thing to take away. Acts 18 reminds us that Kingdom Advance is a community project. And all of us have a part to play, even if all of those parts look different. So as we conclude our time together, quickly looking at chapter 18, focusing on these three enduring principles, let me remind you about them one more time. 
God guarantees the success of kingdom advance, but we must be faithful in spreading the gospel. So brothers and sisters, let's trust God and get to work. Cities provide a strategic opportunity for kingdom advance. So brothers and sisters, let's have a vision for disciple-making that radiates out from Taylor's and touches other places throughout our metro area as we go about our lives, doing our work and our business and our school and our family, wherever that might take us. Kingdom Advance is a community project, and each of us has a part to play. So brothers and sisters, ask God to show you your part. And go ahead and put your yes on the table to obey whatever he's commanded you to do. In just a minute, our musicians are going to come, our worship team, and we're going to close with a final song together. And I want to encourage you during that time to be reflecting on what God's vision of kingdom advance means for you and for your family and for our church. Be prayerfully responding to whatever God's laying on your heart. And if you want to talk to one of our pastors, we'll have folks in the back, and we would love to do that. We want to encourage you to step out and to have those conversations, to have those conversations with your family when you go home. Or maybe you're here today and you're visiting and you say, wow, Taylor sounds like the sort of place I want to be. We would love to talk to you about what it means to be a member of Taylor's First Baptist. Or maybe you're here today and you say, all of this is very interesting, but I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We would love to talk to you about what it means to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to let him become the king of your life, and to become who he created you to be. So let's pray together, and then let's respond however the Lord's leading us today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder of all the ways that you're working to advance your kingdom. And thank you for inviting each of us to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we pray that in these next few moments, you would work in each of our lives, leading us to respond however you see fit. Lord, may we live with our yes on the table. May we take that next step. And may we trust that you're going to work in our lives and in our families, and through this church, for your glory, for our good, and for the sake of the advance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.